This is getting better and better. Get some recipes. Look at that. Yes, sir. You haven't peaked yet. Mmm, I just can't, mm, I just can't wait. That's a lesson that games are not played on paper. No. But they're played on the field. I told you guys, I told you. I told you. Welcome to Evolve, a lifestyle brand that disrupts conventional thinking and challenges you to evolve your soul, evolve your body, evolve your mind, and evolve your tribe. And now, it's time to disrupt. You have value, and you are not alone. When I close my eyes, I can see a whole different world. Wow, yeah. that's what I want to do, man. That's... Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's the goal here. Well, Nick, uh, we, we are happy to have you on. And, and as you know, uh, as uh, part of the team here, we'd like to start our show by asking our guests uh, what's inspiring them right now. So is there music that you're listening to, a book that you're reading, or a person in your life? What's inspiring Nick Meekum today? Oh, man, that's a good question. I would say what inspires me is uh, the concept of liberty. So whatever you take that to mean, I think it applies in all aspects of life. Uh, we can look at it from a political standpoint. We can look at it from a physical or a spiritual standpoint. Uh, we can look at it from a, uh, a mental standpoint. Uh, and for me, I, I kind of try to apply all of those things to my life or apply liberty into all of those aspects of my life. Um, so exercise provides me liberty. Uh, my work provides me some liberty financial, whether uh, that way or, or you know, being able to say that I believe in whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, and so that helps provide me some liberty. The way I eat provides me liberty. Um, so uh, the way I, my relationship with God provides me liberty. So yeah, I would say liberty uh, is what inspires me or is, is inspiring me right now. Sometimes that does include music. There are, there is a lot of beautiful music out there uh, and great music um, that uh, I think uh, makes you think beyond yourself or beyond the, f the four walls that uh, surround you on a daily basis and provides you some liberty. So, Now, what a cool idea. That was actually something Miles and I were talking about earlier today, is this concept of liberty and how free and liberated Miles feels right now. <laughs> I do. I, you know, it's funny. I, yeah. um, and, and just, uh, Nick, I would love you to speak to this. Um, this is going to sound po mildly political, but when I hear people speak of freedom, I, I just, it, it sometimes it sounds like, um, and this might be a little snobbish, but it sounds like people don't really appreciate the freedoms that the country affords you. You know, sometimes I hear, you know, when people, you know, when I, they heard when I, when, when I would listen to the whole masks thing and people say it's curtailing my freedoms and okay it, it, they might think that but then outside of that there's all these other freedoms and you actually named them and you actually did a better job because you were talking about the freedom to eat the way you do the eating a, a certain way provides freedom intellectual freedom spiritual freedom artistic freedom mm -hmm. all these freedoms that exist that it's so ironic that the people that talk about freedom don't seem to understand what freedom truly is once you embrace it. 
Yeah, and I think freedom and liberty are really two. I mean, they are they're congruent, but they're not the same thing. Liberty is your ability to make that decision. Freedom, you you have the freedom to, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're liberated to make that decision. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and on that note, uh, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that challenges personal evolution through our choices and overcoming the challenges that life throws at us. And as the self-dubbed lazy liberal in Overland, Ohio, is W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Wow. Self-dubbed? Self-dubbed? <laughs> Come on, Steve. I got a lot of love for liberals. Liberals help there me out with a lot of different things. And in the mountains like... of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. Today's our guest is Nick Meekum. Uh, Nick, we want to welcome you to the Evolve podcast. It's not your first time here. Uh, you jumped in as a co-host with us previously, but we are excited to have you as our guest today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Welcome, yeah. Nick. So for the last three years, Nick worked with Libertas Institute in the Utah and the Utah Justice Coalition running point in an attempt to abolish the death penalty in Utah. In that role, he lobbied the legislature concerning not only capital punishment, but other criminal justice reform measures as well. To aid in the abolition efforts, he partnered with Utah organizations such as the Rocky Mountain Innocence Center, the Salt Lake Catholic Diocese, the Salt Lake Episcopal Diocese, the Salt Lake Legal Defenders Association, the ACLU of Utah, and the national and international organizations, including Conservatives Concerned About Death Penalty, the Eighth Amendment Project, and the Responsible Business Initiative. Nick was born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, and still lives there now with his family. He grew up a staunchly conservative, but uh, at, st grew up staunchly conservative, but in home were challenging ideas and arguments that was strongly encouraged. He was pro-death penalty up until about 10 years ago and credits his wife, the Catholic law education and Catholic church and his parents' encouragement of critical thinking for his change in his position. Nick now works as part of the Salt Lake County Mayor Jenny Wilson's cabinet on the policies and projects coordinator for the Criminal Justice Advisory Council in the Mayor's Office of Criminal Justice Initiatives. There, under the direction of Joju Liu, Nick drives an agenda uh, for the council. Outside of work, Nick enjoys spending time with his wife, Megan, and son, Jeremiah, challenging himself physically with fitness and nutrition and in all other arenas, and most recently, bow hunting. Miles, watch out. He's coming after you. <laughs> I'm not good Welcome enough yet. Nick. I could hit you from 40 yards out, but other than that, if you're 60 you yards out, you're safe. Well, Ohio is a pretty big bow hunting area. I had a guy that worked for me that uh, would tell me uh, I would just regale stories of bow hunting. But, Nick, we are excited to have you. And we're going to take a different um, um, perspective today than what we've done in the past or a different topic, I guess. We, we've really never tackled a topic quite like this. But, uh, Nick, I think this started from a lunch that you and I had together, yeah. right? did. Yeah, that's yeah. right. We're sitting around and we're talking about what you had been working on. I was fascinated with this work regarding the death penalty. 
And I said, there's got to be an episode in here. And so through a lot of different conversation, we decided what we wanted this to look like, because if we're going to evolve as people, we have to be aware of what's happening in our society. And at some point, we've got to be involved in that evolution right. in society. So let's dive right in. We're going to talk death penalty because you've been, you've spent a significant amount of time on this topic. Um, so let's start with uh, the topic of innocence. And uh, I want to have you talk to our, our listeners about this topic of innocence. Yeah, so innocence, I would say, is probably the biggest reason that I turned anti-death penalty, right? And I say that um, knowing that there are lots of people who are uh, convicted of murder uh, who did do it and actually probably are the monsters that they've been made out to be. Uh, and I would say from that standpoint, from that theoretical standpoint, I probably wouldn't have a problem with the death penalty. The problem is we convict innocent people too. Um, and innocent people, it's statistically impossible that we haven't executed somebody who's innocent, multiple people who are innocent. Um, and, you know, in the past 45-ish years or so, uh, 177 people uh, have been exonerated from death row. And by exonerated, I don't mean just found uh, some technicality where they could get off, but they were actually innocent of the crime that they'd been convicted of, whether they'd you know, previously uh, confessed to the crime or been found guilty by a jury or by a judge, 177 people. So I thought to myself, you know, what level of collateral damage am I actually okay with how can mm. I look at myself in the mirror and say, you know what, that one innocent life, uh, taking that one innocent life was worth uh, getting rid of those other monsters. Um, and I came to the conclusion that I couldn't handle even one innocent life being taken. That was too much for me. Um, and I, I think that that's ultimately what helped me change my mind there were a number of other factors but yeah so innocent people that have been exonerated from death row 177 you look at that over a 45 year now history since 1976 approximately um that's that's too much for me and that just that means for sure we've executed innocent people even before that we did but for sure between 76 and 2021 we have so um yeah i mean i could go on and on about innocence right so uh, if you, you don't at, sound like a conservative, though, when you talk about that <laughs> one life is too much. That's a that's a very liberal conversation. Well, very liberal okay, view. Okay, I, if I accept that as a liberal point of view, then you have to accept the fact that uh, if you say you're pro-life and you don't want innocent life being taken um, from the womb, and you believe that no innocent life should be taken, then that's a very conservative point of view. So maybe uh, maybe the innocence issue, no life is worth taking for nine, mon no one life is worth taking for nine monsters, or yeah, and that's the liberal point of view, then, um, you know, you can look at all the other factors that I, that I look at as far as the death penalty, and say, you know, those are probably a little bit more on the conservative side, but I would say that protecting life is a conservative value, um, and, and a value that the conservative party, the Republican party has held out for a long time and that they probably need to be a little bit more consistent on it. Yeah. And I think this is part of what uh, sparked the, the conversation, Nick, is that uh, I think you and I have 
pretty similar views on, on, on a lot of things in life. When we were talking about that for, let's just say, you said every 8.3 people that are executed in the modern era of the death penalty, one person is exonerated, right? So right. every eight to, eight to nine people, we have one person that's exonerated. Yep. So the, there, there's no doubt that we've executed people who are innocent, right? Correct, yeah. But as a conservative, you changed your view on this when you started to look at the data. So walk people through what that process looked like for you and how you started to see things differently. Yeah, so um, I was in law school in uh, Naples, Florida at a small Catholic law school called Ave Maria. Uh, we were required to take some uh, ethics classes and uh, in those ethics classes, we were taught moral Catholic foundations. I grew up Mormon, I still am Mormon. Um, and um, so, you know, the Catholic church and the Mormon church see very eye to eye on many, many things. I'd say traditionally the Mormon church, or at least many members of the Mormon church are, are very pro death penalty. Uh, I grew up that way. I grew up in a home that, uh, that wasn't necessarily pro death penalty, but wasn't necessarily against it either. Right. Um, and I was surprised uh, arriving at a Catholic law school that Catholics who are so staunchly conservative on so many different levels were against the death penalty. And turns out they believe in, um, natural birth to natural death so um that's that's where they get that from but also as a part of this uh, as a part of this ethics class we discussed the death penalty and my wife megan had been working on on me uh, as far as the death penalty was concerned for uh the five years previous to that uh and and couldn't get me and couldn't get me and uh when we started looking at the data it turns out that uh in jurisdictions where the death penalty has been abolished, the murder rate actually goes down. Um, mm. so, so that's wow. that's something to, to keep in mind. Also, it turns out that uh, it costs more for a state to put somebody to death from the time they are arrested until the time they are actually executed than it does for them to just have somebody uh, be sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. And I also and think you said something about like, what was it? $1.6 million more for somebody yeah. to be put to death than actually just spend the rest of their life in prison. Right. So that's in Utah. So that's a Utah figure. So uh, several okay. years, several years ago, uh, a legislator here in Utah, a Republican, I won't give their name. Um, I don't want them to be outed because they are a good ally and, and a good voice against the death penalty. Um, and they commissioned a, uh, what really could be deemed a short study was three weeks um, to see what the costs were, death penalty versus life without the possibility of parole. Turns out that in Utah, uh, we spend $1.6 million more per death row inmate from time of arrest to time of execution than we do for somebody that's been sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Now you so can where, where are those costs landing, though? Like that, yeah, uh, that doesn't question. make sense in my mind right now. Okay, so yeah. the costs land in a number of different places. So first of all, you look at who are the attorneys. So you have a prosecutor, that's a government attorney, right? So now you've got a government attorney. And then generally speaking, it's pretty rare that you have somebody who's been accused of murder that can afford a private attorney. Uh, so they right. get appointed a, a public defender. 
public defender also happens to be a government attorney. Now these can't be just your run of the mill, uh, your run of the mill prosecutors or public defenders. They have to be in Utah, uh, death penalty certified, which takes a number of years of training, lots of money being thrown towards that. Uh, so that does factor in. I would say that's probably one of the le uh, lesser factors. But uh, as soon that's as somebody, I didn't know you had to have that type of uh, education. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you have to be the, okay. so it's, you know, you can be pr a practicing attorney and receive that, you know, that type of uh, continuing education. Right. Um, but as soon as a prosecutor says death penalties on the table, even if they later take it off, the defense team immediately has to go into action and start finding and hiring mitigation witnesses. And you might ask, what's a mitigation witness? Well, a mitigation witness is somebody who's going to speak to the uh, mental uh, fitness and um, other aspects of the defendant's life, right? So they're going to look at their life growing up, how they were raised, who they were raised by, what other factors mm. uh, may have come in. And so those those type of witnesses, psychologists and, and stuff like that, they don't come cheap. Um, so as soon as uh, death penalty becomes eligible, they're immediately spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on mitigation witnesses and mitigation testimony. And so you're not just talking about people that are just right here in the state or right here in the city. These are people who are experts in their field. And so you're going out way out far and beyond. You're looking for people on, on the East Coast, looking for people on the West Coast, looking for people who are the foremost experts because the thing you want to do is you want to defend your client not only from the thing he's been accused from, but now you have to defend him from the death penalty. And, so, and we're not spending that money on somebody that we're just putting in life without parole, right? Right. We're, we are not because you are not looking like at... Like in total, we're not spending that money or or it's just less? What, what it's is, what way I'm less. Just, it's way okay. less. So the mitigation witnesses, you don't need the same mitigation witnesses <clears throat> for somebody who's facing life without the possibility of parole as you do for somebody who's facing the death penalty. Um, okay. So that's where a huge portion of the costs come in. Then the Supreme Court of the United States has determined that due process in a death penalty case uh, is meant to afford every single opportunity to appeal and get a review. So when you are appealing, you're appealing to the next level of state court, then the next level of state court, then the, the Supreme Court of the state, then you're in federal court then you're all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States, right, before you get ultimately sent back down or, or you get some sort of relief. Um, but you could get sent back down to the state and ha still have the Board of Pardons, you know, basically take away the death penalty. So now you're talking decades of appeals. And I think that's mm. the right, I think that's the right determination um, as far as due process goes. Because if you execute somebody who happens to be innocent and then you exonerate them posthumously well what good does that do it doesn't do anybody right. any good right so now you're talking decades of keeping somebody in prison so now you're talking not only are you pursuing the death penalty but now on top of that you have them in prison basically with the same sentence of some uh, somebody who has life without the possibility of parole now in utah and i'm not sure about every state, but in several other states as well, when somebody only has um, the, or is only being, they're only pursuing life without the possibility of parole, you get one appeal and that's it, right? 
Uh, you can then pursue your innocence through innocent centers like the Rocky Mountain Innocence Center or other innocent centers, but you're not spending the same, or the government's not spending the same type of money on, on uh, pursuing that case. Right. Yeah, and so this is where it fits into this 1.6 million. Now you also, it, when we talked before, you mentioned that Colorado, who that had a very conservative estimate, they were still yeah. estimating that it costs about $200,000 per person yeah, two hundred thousand dollars more. Yep, two hundred thousand yeah. dollars more. That's right. So the, I think the best way to poke holes in the money argument is to say, well, listen, we're not going to fire these prosecutors, right? So they're still going to get paid. They're still going to have to go through appeals on other cases. Okay, that's fine. If you take all of that out of the equation and you look just Colorado, which is that that's exactly what they did. They took all of that out of the equation. You're still looking at $200,000 more per death row inmate from time of arrest to time of execution. than you are looking at somebody life without the possibility of parole from time of arrest to time of natural death in prison. Yeah. And so for a guy like me, I wonder to myself, okay, $200,000 currently, $1.6 million currently. Right. That's current. What is, what's the future value of that amount that could go into the state coffers yep. to fund better programming, better, not only, yeah, exactly infrastructure, that. right? Exactly. Not only that, you look at uh, other criminal justice issues like um, rape kits, and un other unsolved, uh, other unsolved crimes, you know, yeah, we okay. could push that money towards that type of thing, um, rather than pushing it towards the death penalty. So, yeah. So we talked money, we've talked that, you know, there, one way or another, we're going to have somebody that we have put to death, that will then get exonerated later on. Talk about the two pronged argument for the death penalty. Right. So the way I've looked at it through all my study, and the only thing I can find, it doesn't really matter how you word it. You, you can word this any way you want. But the two-pronged argument for the death penalty is the deterrence of, of the crime and basically uh, getting rid of, eliminating the threat, right? So to me, um, and this is pretty obvious from the data, which shows that when you get rid of the death penalty, the murder rate actually doesn't go down. And actually the same data will bear out to show that when you execute somebody, the murder rate actually in that jurisdiction will go up uh, over the next several years. Um, but but and, that's been a big piece to the to this whole idea that we need to keep the death penalty, is that right. we're gonna deter people from having these crimes. Yeah. But haven't and, they proven that deterrence, that doesn't work? I mean, right. the things that I've kind of looked at, that that just because you have the death penalty, that that is not a deterrent to people who are going to commit murders. It's absolutely not, because you think about, well, who's going to be deterred by the death penalty? Well, it's somebody who's thinking reasonably. By right. the time exactly. you're to the point of committing murder, you're not mm -hmm. thinking reasonably anymore. You're not thinking, That's oh, man, interesting. I'm not I'm going to do this and then I'm going to get caught and then I'm going to be on trial and then I'm going to be appealing for the next 20, 30 years. And then I ultimately yeah. am going to face execution either through lethal injection or, or through firing squad or however, however yeah. else anybody else is doing it nowadays. You're not thinking reasonably. And often what happens is not only are they not thinking reasonably, they are disturbed mentally. And some of that could be treated through medication, right. 
and, and yeah. other types yeah. of treatment. So of course it doesn't deter the crime because the people who commit the crime are not thinking it through. Um, and so when you bring that up, uh, often the argument you get back is, well, it's retribution. Okay. But do we really want to sanction the state for retribution? Right. Uh, for revenge, and you can say yes. Many death, uh, many uh, murder victims' family members do want that. They feel like that's justice, but there are just as many that don't feel that way. And I can talk yeah, to you so, guys about so that. So before but... we get into retribution, though, I want to hold on where we're at with yeah. talking about the lack of deterrence. Because Miles and I have had this conversation before, where when when we're talking about people who commit a crime. And let's say that they, they've got a, um, some sort of mental health issue or maybe yeah. they're on drugs or whatever it is. And you're right. They're not thinking through this logically and thinking, oh, gosh, if I get caught, then this is going to happen. Right. And so then that be, doesn't become a t deterrent, right? So if that's the case and we can save some money that goes into helping people who have mental health issues – or who are on drugs that need to get yeah. off drugs. Yep. In, in that, I mean, talk about that. Cause to me, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. And I think that, uh, so Utah is in the midst of building a new prison and I can tell you that I don't agree with everything that they've done and the way they've gone about it. But I can tell you another thing is that on the juvenile level, which is where you save a lot of these people, but on the juvenile level, some of the, uh, our counties here in Utah, have created what's called a receiving center. So not only is it a detention center, but it's also somewhere where a parent can take a kid who's facing some sort of crisis or a kid who is facing a crisis at home can go and they don't have to worry about being arrested. And this is where you get a lot of your interventions, right? This is where you get a lot of your diversions. Uh, if we looked at this, uh, if we looked, at, and again, I will say juveniles are much easier to save than adults who have been hardened and uh, and who are maybe I wouldn't say beyond saving because I don't think anybody is really beyond. Very few people are beyond saving. Some people are. Right. Right. Um, but if you look at it that way, and you look at listen, these people are facing drug addiction, which uh, you know is undoubtedly a disease. It's indisputable. Uh, whether that's been uh, self uh, a self imposed disease uh, or not. Um, you know, it's a disease and people need to be treated for it because people don't make rational decisions when they are addicted to certain substances right. um, or, or other things. And so if we use this money to treat them or to solve other crimes, I feel like it's a far better use of, of the money that we spend on, on what we now spend on the death penalty. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, and I, it definitely does. I mean, you've just got me thinking, um, what an impact that could really make if we look at the root of the problem and yeah. rather than just saying, okay, we need retribution, 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 and we're going to spend all this money going after retribution. Is it really making a difference? Right. Nick, I think one of the things that fascinated me about this conversation that you and I started a few months ago was that as a very staunchly conservative uh, growing up LDS, uh, still uh, LDS, you, you are, you're a guy that's changed your perspective on something that goes against what you grew up with. Yep. And yet, 
you're a great guy. You're evolving as a human being. You're evolving as a person. And there's, I, I don't know if Republicans are going to run you out of the room or not. But what, what blew me away was that this is a pretty hot button topic for a lot of people. It's a pretty hot button topic that comes up in almost every political election. Yep. And you changed your mind and yet you didn't change your party. You didn't change your affiliation. Right. And what I loved about that was the, was this idea, this concept that we can look at things as they are. And it doesn't matter whether I'm Republican or, or Democrat, uh, conservative or liberal. I can look at something and I can be swayed and I can be moved by data. I can be moved by facts. I can be moved by looking at something in a totally different way. Right. The, the other part of that is the other part of that. What you said is also you by not switching parties and having these views that have changed, you you actually have the ability to expand the consciousness of your party. Yeah, you know, exactly. you know, like so one of the debates I get into with um, thanks to Utah was uh, <laughs> my, cha- my, my, my my stance on guns. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, you know, I, I understand guns. I understand why people like guns and things like that. And, and I get in debates with my friends and they go, well, you sound like a conservative. Why don't you go over to their party? And I don't know. I, I, I need to expand, you know, expand what you guys think about guns, because, right. uh, you know, one of the reasons why these are I, I love the phrase hot button issues, because hot button issues is just code for people's fucking emotionalism. That's and exactly right. You, when you dial nice. down the emotion and start to yeah. try to understand factually what's going on and rationally what's yeah. going on, it seems like minds could easily be changed, but you got to dial down the heat and explain yeah. the, the, the monetary. I mean, when you started talking about, you know, conservatives are, it's, it appears always concerned about where the money is going. Right. To sit down and describe that, it seems like there would be a rational conservative go, hey, I never thought about this way. I'm changing my view. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, I think yes. part of this too is just this conversation that needs to be had between conservative, liberal, whatever you see yourself as. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you right now, I, I, I don't, I don't subscribe to either party at all. And so then you're I a conservative. I have people trying to pigeonhole me into something <laughs> like Miles is doing right now. Um, <laughs> But I, I don't I don't subscribe to either party because I don't I look at each issue as it is. But far right. too often, like Miles is saying, people jump in with emotion. I yep. mean, I can't tell you the number of times that uh, Nick, you and I have had these conversations about politics or whatever. And and we don't leave these conversations angry at each other. We don't leave these conversations angry at anybody else. And the same thing with Miles. Miles and I can get on the phone and we can talk. We can be two diametrically opposed opinions. And at the end of it, we understand each other and we still get along. We still love each other. We still all function as a society. Especially if we've been drinking. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Right. (laughs) Or if you're high, you've had a little, uh, (laughs) some extra brownies or something. But, But my point is that I, I think part of the problem in our society today is we've decided that we're going to take a side. 
and yep. we just go into that fixed mindset of that side, and we don't open right. ourselves up to this concept. Your evolution was you said, I'm going to open myself up to this concept that it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to, to look at things from a different angle. And I think that's what's fascinating. And I think that's what the evolution of our society needs to look at, look like. Yeah, no, and that, that's been good. And it really took me a long time to uh, get to where I am, right? So uh, my wife and I just celebrated 18 years of marriage. And I thought, man, I've been mm, anti-death penalty for a decade. And it took me eight years before that to get there. And, who you know, it was way before that that I was pro-death penalty. But I think a lot of it has to do with, as you said, being open to the discussion. And it's okay you, people have to learn to be okay to discuss hard right. things. If right. you yeah. can't discuss hard things, you're not going to open up your mind, your own mind, right. let alone open up somebody else's mind to your point of view. And you have to go into discussions knowing that you might be wrong. And that is something that is so hard for me to admit that I might be wrong. Right. Um, because I feel like I study these things out in my head. I think them through and I don't go into debates just willy nilly with some yeah. random idea that I just came up with a week ago. These are things that I, I don't debate right. things unless I've thought about them for a, a long time. And um, so even then, it's hard for me to go in and say, listen, I could be wrong here. And it took me a long time, a long time to admit that I was wrong on the death penalty. And I, and I think I am, or I, I was, I think I'm right now. But um, right. we have to be able as humans to have tough conversations about tough issues, to include politics, to include the death penalty, to include religion. If you don't have the ability to have those conversations, I feel like you can't have the deep relationships that we actually need as human beings. Well, yeah. you know, the thing is, is that one, it's interesting when you say having tough discussions, people are afraid to have tough discussions with themselves. Exactly. Be because oh, I think it that. starts, if, yeah. you know, if you can sit there and, you know, sit down and think about your position and then think about what's the antagonist of your position yeah. and then start to build an argument based on the opposite of what you feel, you know, you get in that place where, okay. I'm stuck because yep. now you can see po both points of view. And then the more research you do, it can start to sway you when you've sat down and you've discussed this with yourself, which is, you know, I think one of the reasons why ex-wife left me because she said, you are always talking to yourself with these discussions. <laughs> <And I> go, <laughs> I'm working shit out. Yeah, no, you have to work that stuff out in your head. You have to have the tough conversation with yourself and you have to be willing to have it with other people that don't have don't share your same point of view because if you don't have those conversations with those other people you cannot further the discussion with yourself evolution right. yeah. is hard evolving your your ideas is hard yeah, yeah i'm not I'll tell i'm you, not good at it it's it, one of the things that i've always tried to lean towards you know i loved when i was a kid i loved the stories of jesus in the bible where Man, he was hanging out with the people that nobody yeah. else wanted to hang out with. He was hanging out with the hookers. He was hanging out with sinners. He was hanging out with all these people. Um, he was having and, fun. Yeah, right. But he was hanging out with people that were not like him. And right. there was something about that story 
of his life that resonated with me that said, hey, I've got to hang out with constantly people that are different than me. You know, there's that movie or uh, I think they made it into a TV show at one point, The Stepford Wives, where everybody was the same and they were perfect. And we see that wherever you go in the United States. I mean, we certainly have it here in Utah where the same people hang out with the same people and they all have the same beliefs and they all look the same and they all talk the same and they all dress the same. Yeah, absolutely. There's no evolution in that. That's right. That's right. You don't this is where, I, this is where I, I, again, I feel, and you guys don't jump all over me when I say this. <laughs> I feel I feel bad for politicians, whether you are left wing or right wing. I, I feel oh, yeah, bad. We've talked about that before, right? Because you 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 do not have the ability to think something through and then change your mind. You you don't you're not allowed to do that, and well you probably won't get reelected if you do right right you won't get reelected you can get ostracized by your party like anything yeah. can happen, and it 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 detracts from a level of humanity mm-hmm. yep. that you get in and you have to fall in line with the party you can't come out and say you know maybe I'm wrong. And and then and as we suggested earlier, you don't have to switch parties. You expand right. the consciousness of your party. And I, to a degree, I feel bad for whenever a politician is labeled a flip flopper. Now, obviously, there are genuinely flip floppers. So this is my side, and I'm going to do that. But the politicians that think through an issue and decide, you know, this is, I'm changing my views on this because. I've run up against some data that's forcing me to change it, and they yeah. can't. They have to bury themselves, hide their voices. And I genuinely feel bad for those politicians. And yeah. Nick, you've worked with a lot of politicians. I want you to speak to that because that is a common problem where it's it's almost like in politics, whatever you are, you have to stay that. Whatever you've sold yeah. people, you have to stay that. There's no way you can say, hey, guys, this is who I am. I'm a guy that's going to make decisions based on principle based on the best data. And so that might mean that I'm going to lean this way one time and then this way another time. If you make that decision to go one way or another, based on what you found, you're going to get crucified as a politician. Yeah. Right. So talk about that. And I know you, you well, I, I know you know this because you just said earlier, you're not going to out the person who helped you with some of this data because <laughs> they're a Republican, right? Yep. Yeah. Why so, is that? What is what, what the hell's going on in our politics? I don't think that person necessarily would be mad at me for doing that, but I don't want to jeopardize anything that they've got going on, right? Yeah, sure. If that I, makes I, sense. I that. Yeah. And so, uh, working with the Utah State Legislature, we had to do basically a whip count or a vote count, right? So, if we were yeah. able to get this issue onto the floor, whether of the Senate or of the House here in in Utah. We had to know who was going to vote with us and who was going to vote against us. And so it was incumbent so upon say a me. Whip count for people who don't understand that. So you're talking about the majority whip, the minority whip, right? Well, we're talking about just how many people in the in the particular chamber can we get to come around to our point of view and vote with us, right? So okay. it's, it's really a vote count. Um, you do have the majority whip. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I don't know that they would have been much help, even though they may or may not have been with us at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, we had a lot of success uh, in talking to, now, Steve, you well know, 
that the Utah State Legislature is about 90% Republican. So there's no way you're going to get something done on this issue without having Republicans backing it. So we had to go right. through, get this count, figure out who was with us and who was against us. And it turns out that we do have the count. Uh, I'd say we still have the count, even though I'm no longer working the issue. We still have the count to get this abolished here in Utah. Uh, the, the problem, there are a number of problems. Um, sometimes the conversations have to last a little longer than the two or three times you're able to go to lunch with the legislator or sit with them in their office. Uh, sometimes yeah. these are things that they have to consider over a number of months, if not a number of years. And like I said, I was working on this for like three years and I talked to one legislator uh, who was, I wouldn't say he was firmly in favor of the death penalty, but he didn't, he was, he was Republican and he didn't know where to go with the issue because he felt like, as Miles said, stuck. Mm -hmm. He was there stuck because that's where his party was. Well, my work happened to coincide, and I don't know if either of you guys saw this or maybe even read the book, but my work happened to coincide with the movie Just Mercy coming out. Just Mercy talks about uh, a man, his name's Brian Stevenson, and he uh, went to Harvard Law School and then went down to the South in Alabama to uh, defend uh, people who had been uh, you know, accused of murder and oftentimes convicted and sometimes not even convicted. Now he is responsible for the vast majority of the exonerations that have happened since uh, the mid eighties anyway. And uh, he went down and he freed a guy who was spending time on death row before he'd even been tried for a murder he didn't commit. So he wow. freed him. And then he also freed another guy off the same death row that didn't commit the murder that he'd been convicted of. And then he went on to, to exonerate hundreds of people, well, nearly hundreds of people, 150 people beyond that. That's well, a movie that's out right now? So it was out uh, maybe a year and a half ago or so. It's got right. uh, Michael B. Out. Jordan and yeah, Michael uh, B. Jordan. Fox yeah. in it. It's okay. very okay. well done. Uh, the book is better, but if you just want to spend an hour and 45 minutes, man, it, it is a great movie. Well, my work, happened, my work happened to coincide with that movie coming out. This legislator that I was talking to you that felt stuck, he ended up seeing the movie and that changed his mind. Now, this is a session later uh, and he we, we went and talked and he said, well, I'm, he ended up showing it to a number of his constituents because he changed his mind based on a movie, even though we'd had conversations uh, over the past couple of sessions about death penalty and why I thought he should be with us on it. So I would say he ended up being on our side. Now, again, I'm not going to out him by name or anything like right, that. Right. But um, yeah, th these are these are conversations that you have to have with people and it, they have to last a long time. You have to at least be willing to have them last a long time. Well, and, and for our listeners, I mean, obviously, we're talking about societal change. We're talking about politics. And the goal of this episode is not to really make it to push people on one side or the other right. of this issue. Um, we want to present some facts and some ideas. We want to get your perspective. But really the theme is how do you evolve as a human being and yeah. change your mind when it's appropriate? You know, there were a few years ago, there was some legislation that was out there um, about bringing in certain oils and certain um, parts of the marijuana plant that yeah. were very, very helpful for, um, kids who have a condition called Dravet syndrome. Yeah. 
Right. Now, this is very dear to my heart because my nephew has Gervais syndrome. And my sister went up on Capitol Hill to help push some of this legislation forward and be an advocate to help say, hey, we need this because the clinical trials that are coming out for this uh, natural medication are very, very good. In fact, we had another friend of ours who her daughter has Dravet syndrome moved to Colorado because Colorado was so much more progressive on this. And her daughter is doing amazing. Now, my sister goes up on the hill watches the vote, goes to a a politician and says, hey, I'm just curious on your perspective. Uh, Why is it that you voted against this? And he went on this long diatribe of his religion and it's against his religion and, you know, yada, yada, yada. She said, well, sir, I'm, I'm of the same religion as you. And I'd like to tell you the story about my son and what I deal with on a day to day basis and explains to him what happens to my nephew on a day-to-day basis, that he yep. can have upwards of 100 plus seizures in a day, that he can, um, you know, that he's essentially eating away his body and his mind with this, and that this medication can actually help. This guy looked at her and just turned and walked away when she finished her story and said, I'm not changing my vote because of his religious slash political stance. And I thought that was a perfect example of what we're talking about, of the opposite of what you did. Yeah. Not changing your mind based on the facts, but saying, you know what? My current dogma does not allow me to change. I don't care what you're presenting to me. I'm not going to change. Yep. Yeah. And uh, for better or worse, that probably happens to all of us. We just don't realize that we're doing it when we do it. Yeah. Um, And so uh, for me, um, now, um, hindsight being 2020, you know, I know I did that. I know I did that for sure with this issue and a, and a number of other issues, but we have to be willing, uh, to change once we realize that that's what's happening. Right. So I think that's our natural tendency is to get stuck in our ideas and yeah. to just stay there and dig our heels in, especially when somebody challenges us, even when they challenge us with facts. And it's like I said, you know, my wife has been, was working on this issue with me for a number of years. We'd have, we would have heated discussions about it. Um, and uh, you just have to be persistent. And obviously, you know, the uh, medical marijuana law finally uh, went through. And hopefully your nephew has been able to receive the treatment he needs. Um, I know, you know, that's an issue that's constantly being worked on, but tough issues have to be talked about a lot and you have to talk about them with other people uh, who see differently than you and you have to, and and that's another problem, right? Is you get people who are so dug in and you think, well, I've evolved to this point. I've thought my way through this forest. I was where you are. I'm of the same religion or dogma as you. Why can't you get it through your skull that this <laughs> yeah, is skull. what we should be doing? Well, the problem is you haven't given them the same grace that you received to get there yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I have to, I have to, I'm going to take this time out to pat myself on my back. And this is why. <laughs> because, arm, buddy. <laughs> because for years I have practiced 
this kind of disruption with myself. And when I'm in the face of antagonistic facts, I, I literally feel like some kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde when somebody's telling me something that I know is contradicting my view, but although they're contradicting it, what they're saying is correct. And I'm in the midst of a perspective change or a paradigm shift. Yeah. I literally go, I literally, I can feel it. I can feel it in my body when yep. my views are being challenged. And sometimes I need to walk away for a few days. Sometimes I need to just sit there, but I can feel it in my body. I've actually trained myself to be put in a position where you can contradict or give me opposite facts or if they I shouldn't say opposite facts because <laughs> it just means my facts are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but an opposite perspective. But you're opposite right. You, you have trained yourself. I, I remember you and I talked at one point and all I've known of you is the last, what, eight, eight or nine years that we've known each other. And you told me at one yeah. point, Steve, I was not always an open-minded guy. But we'll have conversations today. I think of one two or three weeks ago where we're talking about something and you'd made a comment and I said, no, you, you, you're looking at this the wrong way. Let me give you some different facts. And we talked about, I think we were talking about finances and capitalism and, and economics. We get finished right. with that conversation and you're like, wow, that's a lot. That, that's a lot to take in. That was good. And then a day later, you call me up and you're giddy. You're like, I found what you're talking about. This makes a lot yeah. more sense. I've shifted my perspective. My point is, as adults, as human beings, we can evolve. Just like Nick has evolved in his perspective here. Just like you evolve by taking on a different perspective when you're thrown something different. It's a habit. You either have a habit of being staunch and staying away from people's opposing perspectives or of leaning in and saying, well, this isn't very comfortable, but this is probably where I'm going to grow. Right. Yeah, right. no, that's exactly right. And I aspire to be like Miles, right? I'm, I'm working on that. Um, I, for whatever reason, was able to get through it on, on this particular issue and maybe a couple of others. But man, evolution is, is of your thought. It is tough. It is hard because we want to get in there and dig our heels in. That's just human nature. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's like I said before, um, we were encouraged at my house growing up to think critically to not get stuck on ideas. Yeah. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm grateful for having acquired that skill as little as I've used it or developed it. I'm trying to develop it even yeah. more now. So I think one of the skills book, it's like a pamphlet and it says, uh, I think Steve, I might've turned you on to it. It's called whatever you think, think the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Yeah, that's but, a great little Nick, book. I think just one of the skills that I've it. seen you develop over the years is your ability to research. You've always been a guy that has mm. looked into things, but you've been a researcher. And I'm not talking about what a lot of people think is research today, where they just go onto Facebook and look at right. stuff that you know continues to build on whatever their current bias is. But you've looked at you, you've developed this habit of research. So talk about how have you developed this research habit so that you can challenge your own personal beliefs? Yeah, um, that is a, that's a good question. Um, again, I think it comes from the uh, principle of thinking critically. And I got to be honest with you, it probably started with sports. Uh, and again, I'm going to say my poor wife, the first time she came to dinner at my parents' house, um, my dad and I were having a heated debate about sports. 
uh, about basketball, arguing loudly over the dinner table. And she thought we were mad at each other and, and we weren't. Uh, we were just having fun. Um, <laughs> but I would say that those sports debates is probably... Yeah, poor was, Megan. She's such a kind soul. And she's she is. looking at you guys. She is. And we're yelling at each <laughs> yeah. other. And it looks like it probably did. <laughs> what did like I get myself angry. into? Yep, exactly. It probably looked like we were mad at each other and we weren't. And we have these type of debates on the golf course still to this day. So it, uh, mm. or we can have them. We don't have them all the time, but um, I think my uh, love of researching topics probably started there at sports. Uh, and so I would research things like well points per game and assists per game and who was the better defender and who was this and who was that well then i uh-huh. i always thought well i'm gonna be i'm gonna be a professional athlete nope i suck at sports okay i'm still gonna work in sports nope uh and i ended up going to law school and then i ended up working in politics uh which was probably the second best thing i i could have done for the way my mind works and so uh, i started looking at politics and political issues the same way I looked at sports uh, and researching wow. sports and, and being able to dive in on my own biases and say, well, maybe so-and-so wasn't the greatest player of all time, although Michael Jordan is and was the greatest player of all time and always will be. Amen. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, um, you know, I had to really? figure it. I had to figure really? out. Absolutely. 100%. You agree with him. <laughs> Absolutely, I like how 100%. you're pretending like you're challenging him. You agree with him. But uh, yeah, I just found that uh, I had to be um, able to go into that depth of research on political issues as I was willing to go into on sports issues, something that didn't matter versus something that does matter, right? Sports in the end doesn't matter. It's fun to have the debates. It'd be great to work in sports radio or on TV and have the debate. <laughs> yeah. But um, where you can make or where I can make a difference is on, uh, on the political front or, uh, or working in criminal justice issues, which are a, a passion of mine. And so I've finally figured out that all the uh, facts and trivia I was filling my head with in sports I'd probably be better served to do it in something where I would make a difference. Now, sports is still fun. I still love it. I still fill my head with all those dumb factoids and all that ridiculous <laughs> trivia because I love it. But um, I, I feel alone. like, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. I feel like my mind is better served by looking into um, data on a political standpoint or from a criminal justice reform standpoint. Hmm. Well, and I, I think taking that taking that skill set and taking that affinity towards learning and researching is uh, is part of your evolution. Talk about the emotional shift, though, because we're talking about research. We're talking about the facts. We, you know, we 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 spit out a lot of different facts that yeah. you found along your way. But at some point, any change disrupts the soul. Yeah, any evolution starts with a disruption of your internal compass and that spirit inside what what changed emotionally what changed spiritually inside of you uh, to, to get you to the perspective you're at now well i think um on these uh on uh, particularly this issue i uh, i started personalizing it well mm. what if it was my dad that was convicted of murder and he didn't do it mm. would i be okay with the death penalty then no 
six years ago, I became a father for the first time and only time. Um, and I thought, you know, what if 20 years down the road, my son gets convicted of murder and he didn't do it. And I know he didn't do it. And he gets sentenced to death. Would I be okay with that? No. Um, and immediately when I started personalizing it, it was much easier for me to make that shift, right? Um, all I had to do was say, what if somebody I cared about, whether it's my dad, whether it's my son, whether it's uh, somebody else I care deeply about, what if they were convicted of murder and I know they didn't do it and they were sentenced to death? Would I be okay with that? And I think that's where my collateral damage uh, point comes in, right? Are we yeah. going to be okay with executing innocent people? Now, um, once I started personalizing it, I took that helped me to go in and research things even a bit more. And, you know, um, it's, it's hard to look at somebody as a human being and say, you know what, that person's innocent or it might be innocent, but it's okay to execute them. Or that person might be innocent, but it's okay to leave them in prison for the rest of their life. Or that person might be innocent or that person might even be guilty, but you know what? They still have a redemptive, uh, quality to them. And, um, and they are, in my eyes, a child of God. And mm -hmm. it's uh, as soon as you look at somebody in that aspect or in that manner, it's, it's really hard to depersonalize it. Uh, we're yeah, a lot, what a great perspective. We're a lot more than what we did on our worst day, right? We're, we're, we're a lot more than yeah. that. Yeah. What about personally? You know, it's interesting. There's a, Steve and I were talking about this uh, a couple of months ago. Um, there's a scene you might be familiar with it, Nick, in the West Wing. Are you familiar? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the West remember? Wing. Okay, so remember, um, Martin Sheen asked Charles Yo. They were having it was the whole couple episodes about the death penalty. Yeah, I do. And Martin Martin Sheen asked Charlie Young, his body man, yep. about the man who murdered his uh, his mother. Right. And he said, and he asked Charlie, "Do you believe in the death penalty?" And Charlie says, "No, I don't." Yeah. And then he pauses and he says, I'll do it myself. Mm. And, yeah. And so, th so the question becomes, or, you know, playing one of those ethical games, you walk into your home, you know, your family's massacred. The murderer is still there. What do yeah, you do? That's, man, that is a, that is a great question. And uh, I can't say that I wouldn't do it. Right? I right. hope that I wouldn't do it. Um, and again, you know, you go back to personalizing this. I have a really good friend who I golf with pretty often, not my dad, um, but another friend that golfs with us. And, uh, his father was murdered by his stepmother. Wow. And I didn't know this until I, until I started working on this issue. This is a guy I know pretty well. Uh, we spend quite a bit of time together. Um, and, uh, I didn't know that. And, he told me that he didn't believe in the death penalty again, because he believes that people are more than what they did on their worst day. And he said, I actually forgave my stepmom. I forgive her. Um, through this process, we talked to another uh, person whose son was murdered uh, here in Utah, uh, just up Emigration Canyon uh, about 30 years ago now. 25, 30 years ago, Steve, you may remember this, but he was murdered and his girlfriend was shot also. Mm. And uh, she crawled all the way back to the street and ended up being saved. Uh, 
Well, his mother has been vocal against the death penalty, and she uh, has only been vocal in the past oh, year or two now. And um, prior to that, she was totally for the death penalty for this guy that had murdered her son. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, come to find out over the 20 to 25 years, she worked through those emotions and she was actually able to forgive him. Wow. And um, she started writing letters to him after she found out she ended up finding out that he was of the same faith that she was. And so they started exchanging letters. And uh, within mm-hmm. the last 18 months or so, she was actually allowed to go visit him in the prison here in Utah. And she, the only reason she wanted to visit him was so she could tell him personally that she forgave him and give him a hug. Wow. And she told us that the reason uh, that she was glad that they didn't execute him 25 years ago, because that would not have given her the time to heal and to forgive. Wow. Wow. But that was a very interesting wow. perspective. Wow. That is, that is. Yeah. Give it, evolution she, she takes healed. time. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Evolution and growth takes time. And uh, I look back, you know, I I turned 45 this last week and I look back on. Thank you. Thanks for not calling me on my birthday. (laughs) I I feel like crap. (laughs) I should get the death penalty for that. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I look back on my life and I think, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, there are a lot of things that when you look back in hindsight that we evolve past and we grow through yep. and what a challenge it is. And, and what it, it's not something that you would want to put on anybody, you know, like this mother who had to deal with this with her son, but that healing process, I, I can't imagine she would look back and say, gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm not happy that I went through this. I mean, yeah. I'm sure she would look and say I'm a better person for going through it. And that evolution that we go through, that process that we go through, I, I would just hate to be the person that said, yeah, we're going to, we're going to execute this person. 20 years later, we find out that they were not guilty Yeah. or 30 years later, we find out that we can forgive them. Yep. Doesn't mean we let them out on the street, but then no, we of forgive course them. And that yep. we grow as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. What a what a fascinating conversation we've had, um, Nick. We, I, you know, we are getting on our time here, but we really appreciate you uh, jumping on and having this conversation and really sparking this conversation really? yeah. a few months ago yeah. uh, when you and I went out to lunch. I, I want to thank you for for uh, pushing this forward because I think there's a fascinating story here. Um, that really challenges personal evolution for for all of our listeners, uh, myself included. Uh, So on that note, folks, it is time to wrap up another Evolve podcast. We want to thank Nick Meekum for joining us and my co-host, the self-dubbed Lazy Liberal in Ohio. Don't don't even go there. Don't you stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Lazy Liberal Miles. Nick, if people want to learn more about this issue or they just want to contact you and talk about sports, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram, NS Meekum. Uh, just hit me up with a uh, with a friend request. I think I'm private. Maybe I'll take it off private, but oh, you can find be me there. Now, baby. I know, right? <laughs> or you, you can find me on Facebook. I'm pretty active on both. So 
Um, yeah, and we can discuss whatever you want. I'll discuss something I don't agree with you on, and and we can have a good time with it. So, yeah, no, Nick we'll is see. a great debater and very very uh, respectful as well. And Nick's also uh, come on as a co-host and will be a co-host uh, to fill in. Uh, from time to time for us at the Evolve Podcast. He's a great friend of the podcast and helping us to to grow and evolve this. So, Nick, uh, thanks for all you're doing for Evolve. Uh, and, and, folks, please stay connect with, connected with us at Evolve uh, by going to our Instagram page, Evolve uh, hyphen, or excuse me, Evolve underscore cast. Follow us on Instagram. Also, follow us on Facebook. We've got a group there where you can jump in and have great conversations with evolutionaries like yourself. You can go to evolve-cast.com where you can see all things evolve. Miles, you're looking especially dapper today uh, in your bowling shirt, but (laughs) I know you woke up this morning and had some amazing coffee in your Evolve mug. So if people want to drink like you do, if they want to look amazing like you, how do they do it? Well, I don't feel like I look too particularly amazing today, so let's get to the coffee part. Folks, All right. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. You can take a bad coffee and put it in a bald coffee mug, and it makes the coffee much better. <laughs> take the worst coffee, put it in that mug, and that coffee is transformed. So get your butts on over to the shop. Hit the evolvecast.com. Um, find a mug. Pick up a mug, check out the other gear, support us, have some fun with us. Grab some t-shirts. Yeah, t-shirts. Yeah, yeah Nick has got several of the t-shirts. Uh, I picked up uh, some of our new line of tank tops as well. They're great to work out in. So uh, jump on and pick some of those things up. We want to thank you, our evolutionary listeners, for listening to another episode of the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that challenges personal evolution, through our choices and overcoming the challenges that life throws at us. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. And evolve. All right, close it. <laughs>